Check, check. We're good now. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Second Timothy chapter 4. If you want to open up there, go right ahead. That's kind of going to be our main starting point of our passage in which we'll start with um, today. And uh, as you get there, a couple of things. I'm highly excited to be here again. I see a couple of things are growing. One, the church. There's people I haven't seen before. Um, I've kind of been a regular since almost the first year of uh, Riverside. A regular in the sense I'll come down as Steve is needed or sometime we'll just come visit and hang out. How are you, sir? Good to see you. Uh, my sons are eager to see you um, at some time in the near future as well. So in the second thing, your city is growing. Can we discuss that for just a second? Okay. Starbucks is around, right? Uh, Chick-fil-A. Did I see a Publix um, as well? You have arrived because, according to my wife, she was supposed to be here with me today, sitting here with um, multiple of our children. We have four children, but our youngest daughter, who's eight, woke up yesterday not feeling well. And so she is majorly bummed for two reasons. She hasn't been down here in a while and is excited to see y'all. And second, you got this restaurant as her as a Texan called Whataburger. Um, and she will be down here probably once a month um, because she grew up in Texas. We just got back from Texas, and while we were at Texas for the week of Thanksgiving, we went three times uh, to Whataburger. It's just a regular. So if you haven't been there, I would highly encourage you to go to Whataburger. Um, it is amazing. The ketchup is amazing. Burgers are amazing. Ketchup, and then they have a spicy ketchup as well. I'm a Tennessean. And I have converted to Whataburger. So you'll be seeing more of the Hamels, whether you like it or not. Maybe not necessarily every time coming to here, but you will see us throughout the week and other times at Whataburger. So we are um, quite excited that your city is growing. My, my wife, as Steve told us this, my wife was texting her family, we have one an hour away now. Because we've seen it, you know, we've, we've been married 20 years now, and we've noticed the Whataburgers gravitating closer to Chattanooga. So we're, um, you're dear in our heart for multiple reasons. Joking aside, we are excited to be here, or I'm excited to be here. I say we because, again, that was the plan. Um, Steve really did not hurt his Achilles. If you didn't know, Georgia got beat yesterday. That's nice. So that's really the reason. He needed some time to mourn through that. I figured y'all could give him a hard time. I don't have to do that. As a Tennessee fan, we didn't even have to worry about the game yesterday. So, you know, it was very easy for us. Um, I did not like either team. I was trying to pull for uh, – Steve was asking me. I was like, dude, can both teams somehow lose? Then I would be very happy. I'm only kidding. But Georgia did lose, so you can give him a hard time. Um, I did, if you probably heard him talk about another guy, one of our best friends named Doug, right? The three of us kind of grew up together. All of us in this calendar year have turned 50. And so Steve was trying to explain his, his injury uh, to us, and we just looked at him and said, dude, you're 50. I mean, it's just a reality of life now. I can't see anymore. My knee hurts all the time. I can barely sleep, all these other things. I said, yours just happened to be your Achilles. So... Um, joking aside, we prayed for him a lot. We prayed for Anne a lot. Here, there's some sickness as well amongst the family, so we're praying for y'all. Uh, we pray for your church often. Um, your, your God brings your church to my mind quite a bit. I love y'all. Again, I've, I've been coming down here for many, many years. My family's been coming down here for many years, and we're excited to continually hear what God is doing. Today, uh, If again, I want to give you a little time. Just open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Stay at verse 6. And then when you get there, okay, we're, we're going to talk about being a faithful servant of Jesus. I know that can encompass a lot of things. But as you get there, just look up, because I'm going to start today with a question. All right? Once you get there, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, I'm going to start with a question today. That question is this. It may sound a little morbid. I apologize, but I'm going somewhere with it. If you knew, 
today, you were at the end of your life, right? Maybe you had a, a week or so or two weeks the most to live. Could you make this statement? I fought a good fight. Sin in the world, right? Life circumstances, persecutions, whatever they may be, difficulties. I finished the course, right? From the point of my salvation until the point where I know I'm about to die, I followed Christ and the path that he's given me. I've kept the faith. I've consistently lived as a faithful follower of Jesus. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I don't answer out loud, but could you, could you say that if you knew you were at the end of your life today? Better yet, let's say that, um, again, I, I realize it sounds more, let's say you just passed away and Steve was about to do your funeral. Could he say that about your life? Right? Could others say that? Could your family say that about your life? That man, he fought a good fight. He finished the course. He kept the faith. Well, Mickey, that, that might seem kind of far-fetched. Well, if you're, you're, you may be familiar with this. Actually, a, a gentleman who wrote this in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, his name is Paul. No, y'all just studied either you're in Titus or just finished Titus. Is that right? Okay. Paul wrote that one to a disciple named Titus. He wrote this, 2 Timothy, to a disciple named Timothy. And as we know, it's, as far as we know, it's the last letter he ever wrote. And he's in prison as he's writing it. Look what he says at the end of the letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 6 through 8, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. He knows he's about to die. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So he actually says that. And, and let's get, we're going to talk about Paul's life today and, and, and different aspects of it. Let's get something out in the open. He's not a superhuman Christian. He's a man just like we are created by God in His image, became a believer at a certain age, the Holy Spirit came inside him. He has the same Holy Spirit that we have. And he says that at the end of his life. And really what hit me is, how could Paul, I, I studied, how could he say that? I studied this for the first time in really detail about 25 years ago, right? And so I remember studying this. I was teaching through different aspects of this passage, came to it, and it just really struck me to where it's my favorite passage in Scripture because even then, as a, in my mid-20s, I remember just talking to God, that's exactly what I want to be able to say at the end of my life. That's exactly it. That's what I want to say. Nothing else really matters. If I get rich, famous, who cares? Obviously, neither one of those things happened, by the way. Um, not that I'm at the end of my life of Noah, but that's it. That struck me. And that was, statistically, I had more than half my life to still live. 25 years later, we've been studying through the book of Acts at Woodland Park. And this passage has come back into play for me, and I've been studying through it again recently, um, thus the, the sermon today. In a different capacity, God's brought it back to my mind. I'm 50 now. Statistically, over my, half my life has already been lived. And it hits me afresh and anew to look back. God, from that moment, you put this on my heart till now. That's still exactly what I want to be able to say if I knew I was going to pass away in, during this week or next week. If I knew it was at the end of life, that's it. That's what I want to be able to say. What about you today? Could you say that if you knew it was your end of your life? Now, we're kind of starting at the end. We're going to work our way back towards that passage while looking at the life of Paul. But again, I ask, man, how could somebody say that at the end of their life with such confidence? Again, that's a pretty, pretty strong statement. And really, it's simply the, the title of today because he lived a life as a faithful servant of Jesus. That's what it boils down to. 
And with Paul's life, what's really neat in Scripture is you can see his life, not every aspect, not every minute, but large chunks of his life lived out from the moment of his salvation until the time of his death. You get to see his life with Christ lived out because throughout the book of Acts, again, what we're studying, again, this is, that's why it's all new in my mind again, you get to see missionary journey after missionary journey after missionary journey where he's taking the gospel message out, and he's writing all these letters that he's written, and now we all have it in the New Testament. And we get to see his life lived out as a faithful follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so that really is what today is all about, is looking at his life as an example of Scripture of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Again, he's not perfect. You can look in Scripture and see that Paul's not perfect, right? He's a human like we are, same Holy Spirit living inside of us that you and I have today. That's back from Ephesians chapter 1, right? Believe the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. He has the same Spirit, but I'm going to tell you, it's a man who lived the life of a faithful servant. And if I really had to, to summarize this in a statement, it's a faithful follower of Jesus. Here's, here's three things. Knows their call, counts the cost of living out that call, and consistently lives out the call. Three things. Again, faithful follower of Jesus knows their call in life, right? And where it comes from. Counts the cost of that call and then consistently lives out that call. Three C's. I'm not usually the, the three C's um, bullet point person, but that's just the way it rolled um, while I was going through this and looking at it. What we're going to do, we're going to look three elements of these C's. First, the call. Look at the life of Paul and an example of this. All right, and his example, and then how does that apply directly to us today from these three aspects um, of these C's with the bigger picture of being a faithful servant um, of Jesus? So where we want to start today, let's go to Acts chapter, let's go to Acts chapter 7, all right? Again, you don't have to, we're going to, we're going to flip around quite a bit. You can follow with me if you want to. That's okay. It's up to you, or you don't have to. I, I get it. Um, but again, let me remind you. We start with Paul's calling, right? But I started you at the end of his life. Now we're going to go back to the beginning, not of his life. We don't know when he was born, per se. All right, we don't have the details in Scripture. But we're going to go back to the beginning of his Christ life, the point when he became a Christian. But what's neat about Paul's life is when you look at his calling, right before his calling, we get a real good picture of who he is. If you go back to the end of chapter 7 of Acts, in verse 58, the story is um, the first Christian martyr we know of is about to die. His name's Stephen. He's about to be stoned to death, right, just simply for being a Christian. And notice Saul here, chapter 7, verse 58. All right, when they had driven him, Stephen, out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. Well, that's actually our Paul. His name was changed later. Come down to chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. So first introduction to Paul is he's not a believer. He's a persecutor of Christians. If you go down to verse 3, it gets very detailed. So Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he put them in prison. That's the first introduction to Paul. All right, so that's not his calling, but it was interesting. That's the man we see. If you flip over to chapter 9 of Acts, you get the real good picture 
of his calling and his point of salvation. What he's doing, it just said, uh-oh, am I going out? What, what he's doing is it just says that he's going from church to church, ravaging the church, bringing back Christians and putting them in prison. He's gotten permission to go do that in the city of Damascus. He's walking down what's called the Damascus Road. Jesus stops him, starts talking to him. That'll get your attention, right? I mean, literally, as I'm talking to you, blinds him. He goes to a house. Then Jesus gets a, a, a Christian there named Ananias. And he tells Ananias basically what he's going to do with Paul's life. Here's the call after Paul's salvation. Acts chapter 9. Let's go over, I don't know, let's go to chapter 15. God telling, and by the way, what's kind of funny is right before this, God tells Ananias, I want you to go to Paul. And Ananias says what in Scripture? You can look at it. He says, God, are you sure? This is the same guy who was basically persecuting and dragging off Christians like God doesn't know. And then God tells him exactly what the call is going to be for his life. Pick up in verse 15, Acts 9, verse 15. Here's Paul's call. Go, God talking to Ananias. Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. Look, to bear my name before Gentiles, those are non-Jewish people, kings and the sons of Israel, those are Jews, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Boom, there it is right there in Scripture. We get to see a, the, the calling that God has for Paul's life after the point of salvation. And what's neat in Scripture, if you continue on, which we're doing it at Willem Park, if you continue on through the book of Acts, guess what Paul does? And almost right here in the same chapter, he becomes a Christian and he immediately goes out and he starts sharing the gospel with who? With Gentiles, with Jews, and even later in the book of Acts, you're going to see him share the gospel with kings, like Jewish kings. And throughout it, here, here's kind of his routine that he goes through. He actually calls it his custom, I think, later in the book of Acts, that Paul will go from city to city in missionary journeys. He'll go to a new city, go to the synagogue, start sharing the gospel with the Jewish people. That will flow out to sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, right? Because he has to share it with the Jews first, according to the custom, or the Jewish people wouldn't listen to him. All right, so he shares it with the Jews, flows over to the Gentiles. Later, I told you, he'll share it with the kings. And almost in every city, guess what happens to him? He gets persecuted again and again and again. Physically and mentally, he gets persecuted. That's the call that God has given Paul on his life, and he starts to live it out almost immediately. And if you match this up with our, with our kind of our main verse, 2 Timothy 4, 7 says this, I've finished the course, right? Well, right here, what's neat is this is the course of the calling that God has started him on right here in Acts chapter 9. Becomes a believer. God tells him, this is what I'm going to do with your life. That starts the course. Go all the way, live, fast forward all the way to 2 Timothy at the end of his life, and guess what he's saying? I finished the course. That's how he can make that statement because he knew exactly what it is, the call that God had given him, and he lived out, not perfectly, but he lived it out until he knew he's about to die where he can say, I finished the course. Isn't that awesome? God's not changed. It's the same God with the same spirit living in us, and guess what he has for you and for me? A calling for your life it's not the exact same as Paul. See, what's neat about God is you go to the Scripture all the way back to Genesis. He's our creator. He created us. He created Mickey Hamill specifically, right? And he saved me, right, at the point of my salvation. And at that point, he's shown me progressively throughout my life the exact calling he has for me. I'll talk about that here in a little while later. It has to do with exactly what I'm doing right now. That's teaching his word. So I shift the question, what about you? 
What's the calling that God has given you in your life today? And what's neat, again, if you're young here today, he doesn't say, you know what, when you turn 18 or 21, according to American standards, I will give you that call. Um, then I'll, I'll, but you can't have it, you can't know it until then. No. When you become a believer, God can show you exactly what that call is. And what's neat, again, I'll talk about it here in a little while, in different stages, he may shed more light on what that calling is, but he's got a call for your life, specifically for you as a believer. Pretty cool thing to think about that the God of all creation has a calling for my life. Now, let's break down a little bit of what that calling might look like and kind of differentiate between a command and a calling in Scripture. All right, Matthew, all right, Jesus, I'm not going to turn to all these, but I'm just going to give you some examples in Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus to his disciples tells them to follow me. Really, it's an invitation for them to follow the calling that he's going to have on their life, right, the, the 12, right? In Matthew chapter 28, you guys can probably quote that one. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Acts chapter 1, Jesus talking to the disciples, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and even the remotest parts of the earth. Okay? Those are different aspects of what God's called us in life. Another aspect of the calling that we have is, do you know that in Ephesians um, chapter 1, that God says He has chosen you to be holy and blameless. We were just singing about that. John 15, 16 says this, Jesus talking to disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go out and bear fruit, that our lives would bear fruit. And then a really cool aspect about our calling too is this. Let's see, there's Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, Ephesians chapter 4 that do you know that every one of us as believers has been given a gift by God, by His Spirit? There's a list of what all those gifts are, okay, in Scripture. And that we are to use those gifts, um, I believe it's Ephesians chapter 4 that tells us, yeah, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. You and I have been given a gift today. Let's use the example of Riverside. All of you have been given a gift if you're a believer. And you're to use that gift right here amongst this body, Okay, because this is the this is the body that you've chosen to be a part of that God's called you to right here at Riverside, almost at Woodland Park at Riverside, right? God's given you a gift to use, and how are you supposed to use that gift? Let's see, the equipping of the saints—that's the purpose for the work of service. So that as you are all equipping each other and using your gifts, guess what happens? You're building up the body of Christ. Did you know that? And so I would ask you, as part of this calling, do you know the gift that God's given you today? It's not for me to tell you what the gift is. They're, they're all listed out in Scripture. But that's what God has given you, part of the aspect of the calling that He's given you. See, because I think there's confusion at times as to, well, Mickey, you, you said over in Matthew, right, in, in Acts, that we we're to, to make disciples. There can, at times can be a little bit of confusingness between the commands that we're given and told to do and the, the calling. And what I mean by this is this. We are commanded in Scripture, according to Matthew, to go and make disciples. It's what we're commanded to do. Uh, the, the calling piece of that is how that's going to be played out in your life specifically. You may have a gift in evangelism. I don't. You may debate this as you hear this today. I, I think I have. I know that God's given me a gift of teaching, and I'll share that story here in a little while. Um, two different gifts, right, that God's given for the purpose of us to build up the body of Christ together. The calling is the how that you're going to live out this command that God's given you to go out and make disciples in your life. 
And I ask you again, do you know what it is that he's called you to do in your life as a believer? That might take you to different aspects of jobs. I don't know. I've worked in the secular world. I've worked now in the world of ministry. I've worked in both. I'm just going to follow God to show me exactly what it is that he wants me to do in my life. My calling is bigger than any aspect of, of a physical job that he will give me. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Um, and I realize there's aspects, yes, I, I, I need a job. God's totally provide for my family. I'm going to do all that. But the calling that he's given me in my life, man, it's, whoo. Again, I'll, I'll share a little bit of, of it here in just a little while and why it excites me so much. And the, the fact that he's lived that out in my life for the last, man, 35 years is a neat thing to see. Again, you see the example of Paul. God called him specifically. I want you to share the gospel with these three groups of people, and I'm going to show you how much you must suffer. That's his calling. What's the calling that God's given you today? Right? Um, and then Paul lived it. We'll, we'll see that here towards the end. To where at the end of his life, we can look and say, you know what? I finished the course. I knew the calling God gave me, and I lived it until the point of my death. That's it. You know, as my flesh is laid aside, I can tell you I don't want, I, I don't care if I'm rich, I don't care if I'm famous, but I do want to finish the calling that God's given me in my life to the point which I'm with Him. All right, there's the calling piece. Does that make sense? All right, we, as, as believers, faithful followers of Christ, we, we have a calling from God. Now, with that calling, though, here's not, as part of Scripture, it's not really preached on a whole lot. You'll see why. With that calling is a cost, right? And Paul um, experienced the cost of his calling. And what's interesting with Paul's life, again, I think God gave it to us as an example, is that Paul himself uh, had quite a unique cost in which he had to give. But remember, part of his calling was what? I went, he's going to be a chosen instrument of mine. He's going to share the gospel. Uh oh, what's happening? Um, this headset and I have been enemies for about 15 years, um, for however long your church has been going on. And it's winning at the moment, but I will, we, will, we will get there. Um, we will get there. Uh, flip over to 1 Corinthians. And actually, uh, it's uh, going to be 2 Corinthians. Yeah, 2 Corinthians. We'll flip there. And let's go to verse 11, or chapter 11. We'll go down to verse uh, 22, 23 here in just a second. Okay? But let's go to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 11. Sorry, 2 Corinthians. I keep saying first. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me get there real quick. I had it a second ago. Now, this aspect of Paul's calling matches up with what? He's already said he, he finished the course. He knew the calling. All right? Um, he also what? Fought a good fight. There's a cost of living out the calling that God's given us. In Scripture, we get to see really the, the cost that Paul paid pretty severely. Okay? But remember, this is part of his calling. Let's break this down a little bit. This 2 Corinthians passage is kind of interesting. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He helped establish this second letter. He's writing to them. There's believers that are there. They've kind of been starting to be listening to these quote-unquote, I don't have a better way to say it, people call themselves super apostles. Right? And they're kind of being led away by some of the false teaching that they're giving. And so Paul has to actually kind of defend himself and give almost, I don't have a better word for it, kind of his credentials of being an apostle of Christ. He even says it's insane that I have to say this. So he understands this is not a prideful thing. He understands it's insane. But that's what he's having to do. For our purposes, we're going to look at the cost 
that Paul had to endure for his calling. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23. It says this, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. All right? I'm more so. Look at it. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. He's been imprisoned multiple times for the calling God gave him. Beaten times without number. He does not remember how many times he's been beaten for the sake of Christ. Wow. Often in danger of death. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe once in my life I've been in danger of death. Often he's been in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. And that's kind of like a whipping with different parts of bone and it cuts you up and it's really, really bad. The, the tradition was... Uh, they only gave you 39 lashes because 40 would have killed you. All right, that, that's not exactly, but that's just kind of the tradition of how bad it was. Five times he received that. Verse 25, three times he was beaten with rods. That just sounds horrible. Once you get to see, actually multiple these, you get to see um, uh, through the stories of these in the book of Acts, and this one you get to see as well. Once he was stoned, right? He was preaching the gospel. It disrupted the city because many people came to Christ. They drive him out of the city. They start throwing stones at him. The only reason they stop is because they think he's dead. Okay? Once he was stoned, three times he was shipwrecked. Now, you people around here have many lakes and things, and probably some of you have boats. Uh, if you are shipwrecked on your boat, are you getting back on another one? If you shipwrecked twice, are you going to get back? I guarantee you I will not get back on one. Three times he was shipwrecked. A day and a night, like a full day, he spent in the ocean, just in the ocean, okay, as a result of these. You can get to see that story I'm talked about in Scripture. Look at verse 26. This is kind of a good summary of everything he's been in danger with because of his calling. Been on frequent journeys, been in dangers from rivers, from robbers, from my own countrymen, that's the Jews, from Gentiles, that's everybody else, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers from the sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, and in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. So every element of danger has come upon him. He's been without food to the point of danger, almost dying. Uh, been exposed to the cold and didn't have the proper clothing on. All for the sake of carrying out the calling which God gave him to carry out. That's the sharing of the gospel, making disciples. Now that's the external. Look at the verse 28. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of the concern for all the churches. Because you remember, in the book of Acts, he went on three missionary journeys, city to city, and started preaching the gospel. People became Christians, so he would plant church after church after church. Uh, if Steve were here today, I'm sure he could tell you, as a, as a pastor of one church, um, all of you are probably on his mind quite a bit. If issues arise within this church, guess whose mind that they're going to be on? Stephen, your pastor, amongst y'all as well. But imagine churches. All of that is the cost that Paul is paying day after day, year after year, city after city, to where he can say, you know what? I fought a good fight. He endured the cost of his calling till the end of his life to where he can say, I finished the course, I fought a good fight. Church, there's a cost that goes with the calling that God's given us. It's just fact. You even know, think, well, Mickey, I thought when I became a Christian, I would just be rich and everything would be wonderful, and you know, there will be these wonderful unicorns and lollipops and things would just be marvelous, right? Let me tell you clearly, being a follower of Christ for, I don't know, 35-ish years, there's nothing better in my life, period. And that's a whole other sermon to talk about, or sermon series. But also in the midst of this, 
God never hid anything from me. Look what Paul himself says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35-36. Paul's talking about the question is, rhetorical question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? We know that the answer is nothing, no one, or anything. But look at the examples he uses, kind of the expectations of what believers may go through. Romans 8, 35-36, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, will distress, will persecution, or famine? or nakedness, or peril, or sword, wars, troubles, um, not having the proper uh, materialistic things that we need, no food, persecution, distress, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered, look, as sheep to be slaughtered. There's an incredible picture of living out the Christ life, isn't it? All right? But church is in Scripture. We need to understand that my life, when I became a believer, it's no longer my own. I've surrendered it to Christ. He's given me a call in my life, and if that call, whatever the cost is of that call, that's up to him. But there's going to be some sort of cost. Paul himself wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe. It doesn't say 50% of you who are believers, 50% of you will be persecuted. No, all who desire will be persecuted. That's not taught about a ton, I'm sure. In, uh, in, you know, I know Steve teaches all throughout Scripture, so I'm sure that that's no mystery to y'all. But that's a fact. There's a cost that goes with the calling. Jesus himself taught this again and again and again. And if you go look in, in, in Luke chapter 8 and John um, elsewhere, Jesus taught this and explained to his followers how difficult it may be to follow him. And so much so that multiple of those who were following him, guess what they did? They walked away because it was too difficult of a statement for them. With our calling, with this life, is a cost. See, that the first aspect of our calling goes all the way back to our salvation. Have you accepted Christ? Have you believed that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, and appeared to many? You confessed your sin to him, right? To where his Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, where you believe that. And thus his Spirit's living inside of you, and you've surrendered your life to him. Because if you've surrendered your life to him, it no longer belongs to you. Now, we still have the, the daily battle with our flesh, right? With his Spirit living inside of us and our flesh. But man, at the end of the day, my life is not my own. It's his. And with that... He's, he's given me a calling in my life, and whatever the cost is of that calling, I'm going to endure it. Now, again, I am not perfect. If my wife were here today, she could tell you instantly um, that I am not perfect. My four children were here. They could tell you quickly I'm not perfect, but I'm going to tell you today, whatever cost there is that I have to endure the calling, I'm going to endure it. What about you? Do you know the, the calling he has for you? Do you know there's a cost that goes with it? Are you willing to endure that cost? I've fought a good fight, finished the course, I've kept the faith. He has fought a good fight. You can see that. Again, if we had more time, you could just flip throughout Scripture and see how Paul's done that. All right? You can see that he finished the course. We saw that in Scripture uh, laid out for him as well. But there's also a, a third C, a third component of this. We're given a calling. There's a cost that goes with that calling. But then the question is, 
question is going to be, are you going to consistently live that out? Now, when I say that, the cool thing is he's given his spirit to live inside of us. It's not of my own strength. It's not of my own power. It's not me pulling up my, my boot laces and going out and doing that. It's by me walking, as it says in Ephesians, by walking with the Spirit of God. So I want that, as we talk about this aspect of consistency, that's what I'm talking about. Okay? But there's the third C, right? The consistency that we get to see in Paul's life throughout Scripture as, as well. Again, if you go back to um, 2 Timothy, he, he makes the statement very clearly, right? I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept what? The faith. He knows what's laid up for him in the, in the future. He's going to be with Christ forever. Now, how can he make that statement? Again, remember, this is a man, if you go back to Acts chapter 7, we get to see him. He's persecuting people like you. He's going to different churches and dragging you people off into prison. God changes his life, saves him. Holy Spirit's going to come live inside of him, right? He gets the calling on his life, and now nothing will stop him from carrying out that calling, not even the cost of all the stuff that we looked at. And he's going to go now from the book of Acts, chapter 13, actually from chapter 9 all the way to the end of it, three different journeys, starting over here in Jerusalem, or sorry, Antioch, Jerusalem, all the way over here to Rome. I had a map. I could show you all that stuff. Um, there's no cars or you know, planes or anything of that nature. So this is a long distance for him. And he goes on to do that for decade after decade, day after day, year after year, to where he consistently lives out the calling. So I'm coming to a new city. Actually, I think there's an example. I give Acts chapter 13, yeah, is an example of this. There's many. I just happen to choose this one. In Acts chapter 13, this is the, the start of his first missionary journey. Acts 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit says this to the disciples that are there. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to do. We know what that work is. It's the calling that God's given on Paul's life. Verse 5 says this. So they, they send them out. Verse 5, when they reached Salamis, that's the city, they began to proclaim the word of God, right? Preach the gospel in the synagogue of the Jews. From there, you can go on and look at the story that the gospel is going to spread to the Gentiles. And there's even going to be this magician called Elamus, if I'm saying his name right, who starts opposing them and persecuting them. You see the call of Paul's life all lived out right there on the first missionary journey. He goes to a city, shares the gospel with Jews and Gentiles, and he's persecuted for it. Then he's going to go to the next city and do the same thing. Then the next city and do the same thing to where there's three journeys, and then really there's more travel after those three journeys just throughout the book of Acts to where he is consistently living out the call of his life now, in that, that's not his profession. You know what his profession is? He's a tent maker. We get to see that in Scripture. All right? So, in that, God's going to give us a profession, right? To, to the ability to, to make the living that he's called us to make. Sometimes those things may intertwine. That's great and wonderful. Sometimes they may not. But that's the call that he has in his life. And the cost never stopped him from consistently living out that call day after day, year after year. Do you see the consistency factor? Because the next question is, what about us? Today, are you consistently living out the call? Because these things are going to build here. If you don't know the call, how are you going to consistently live it out? Now, for my wife, she, we were talking about this uh, months ago, and she would tell you, one of her dreams that she got to live out, and still living out, right, because God blessed us with a 
child in her um, early 40s, and that she's still living out. Is she wanted to be a mom? They got to stay at home and raise her children and pour the word of God into them. And she'll tell you that that's a dream that God's given me, part of the calling that God's given her on her life. Pretty awesome to think about. For me, now she's also a, a, an incredible teacher. She would give you that aspect of, of the Word of God as well. Um, but for me, there's different elements to that as well. I started processing through this. What does this really look like of us consistently living out this life of Christ? John chapter 15, you can flip there, gives us a good picture of what it looks like as a, as a follower of Jesus being his disciple. Okay, John chapter 15, see if this kind of matches up with your, with your life. 15 verses 7 and 8. All right, Jesus talking, talking to his followers. It says, If you abide in me, that's Jesus, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Look at verse 8. For my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. If you just look at those two verses, there's four aspects of that of what it means to be his disciple. Abiding in him, right? In fact, his spirit lives in me, and thus I am walking by his spirit every day. I'm in constant relationship with him, right? Second is living out his word. He's given us his word right here that shows us how we're supposed to live and given us his spirit and the ability, the knowledge, the spirit will direct us, right? And the, and the truth of the word of God, give us the understanding of it, and then also give us the ability, the power, and the strength to live that out. Okay, so abiding in him, living out his word, praying his will, that's the conversation with God. That goes back to the aspect of the relationship with Him. You pray according to His will, and then finally, our lives will bear much fruit. That is the fruit of the calling that God's given us. That's the bearing of the, the fruit of the Word of God being lived out through us, where my life will resemble Christ. My life will be lived out according to the call that He's given us, which will match up with His Word. Are you consistently living out that Christ's life, the calling that He's given you? It's a little bit of my, my, my wife, but for me, I told you I'll share a little bit about my story. Again, I am far from perfect. I'm just giving you the, the calling, I think, as an example that God's given me in my life. And that is this, for me to teach his word. And so I remember that calling when I was young, and it scared me to death because I avoided every class from high school through college of any speech class that would make me get up in front of people. It was one of my biggest fears. That's how I know the Holy, one reason I know the Holy Spirit of God lives inside me. Because when the Holy Spirit came to live inside me when I was 16, He started to change that pretty quickly. All right? The fear didn't automatically go away, but He started to show me at an early age in terms of my, my, my Christ life, right? In probably my early 20s, late teens, after I became a believer, that I want you to take, I'm going to set you apart to teach the Word of God. I knew that was a as big aspect of my calling. That started, and I'm giving you an example, that started with people like me and Steve and Doug, right? And we were in college in our late teens, early 20s, to where we were these small group leaders in our youth group, okay? And part of that incorporated us teaching small groups, five, six, two, three guys that we were teaching. That's how God started me on the aspect of teaching his word. Remember, that was a huge fear for me. I love that. Got to do this thing called Timothy School at Woodland Park, which basically you get to go, and now it's called SALT, um, where you go and they teach you more about how to teach the Word of God. Loved it. I loved it. I loved it. God called me off to seminary. All right? Steve, Doug, and I, I went to the same seminary. Got to spend a lot of time together. But in there, he, he called me to be a youth pastor. And guess what I got to do about four times a week? Teach the Word of God with a group of about 20 to 30 students. And then it was just me, because the church is only about 125. So there was a, our, our senior pastor and me 
And so when he was gone, guess who got to preach to about 100 people? See what God's doing? He's showing me different aspects of the calling he has for my life that's being carried out in different stages. He calls me back to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And instead of me working at a church for the next eight years, guess what he has me do? Teach Bible at a private Christian school. Eight hours a day, five days a week, I'm teaching the Word of God. And I love it. I love it. Then he rolls me to be this thing called a high school principal at the same school for the next 12 years. And guess who I start teaching at that point? Teachers, right? I'm pouring into them the Word of God, but I'm also teaching a different aspect. As, as discipline issues come in the high school, guess who has to deal with them? That's me. So through discipline, I'm teaching the Word of God to these students. You know, Billy, you shouldn't have done this. Here's why. Let's talk about this from the aspect of God's Word. And I'm also teaching teachers. I'm teaching parents at that point as well. Then he calls me for the last four years, four and a half years, I guess now, um, to work at Woodland Park Baptist Church at this thing called a, a pastor of administration. All right, God. And I remember him calling me. I remember him telling me as he called me there, and he made it very clear to me, all these things I've had you learn at the Silverdale at the school, all right, I want you to put in practice here. I want you to teach others. And so I have this title of pastor administration, but really a different element of this is teaching different components um, of ministry to different pastors now they are younger than me. Because one thing I, told, I thought he told me was there's going to be a lot of transition in the church from older people who are retiring to now younger, and that's exactly what's happened in the last four years. Also, though, I get to teach a men's Bible study on Wednesday nights. I teach a, a Bible study with my sons and their friends um, on Sunday afternoons where we're kind of done for the semester. But, but those are different aspects. In my own home, I get to teach my four children the Word of God. Now, that's me. That's the calling that He's given me in my life. In that, I'm still hopefully living out the command of sharing the gospel with other people, making disciples, right, according to the commandment of Matthew 28. But that's the calling that He's given me in my life, and I love it. Sometimes it matched up to where I'm working at a church. Sometimes I was working at a, 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 a school that was not a church. Whether it's in official ministry or not really doesn't matter. Has it been amazing? Yes. Because I know I'm living out the call he's given me. Has it had a cost? Absolutely. But I'll tell you, I'll never stop doing that until God calls me to be home with him. I remember when I was younger praying, God, let me live to be 100 so I can just teach your word for 100 years. Well, probably actually I would have been about, do the math, I became a Christian, I was 16, so 80 years at that point. Uh, whether he decides that or not, the older I get, the less I pray that because my body is falling apart on me. Um, but that's why he so desires I will, I will do that. Again, that's not perfect. That's not to stand here and say I'm perfect. But just to give you an example, do you know the calling that God's given you, church? Do you know what it is? Are you willing to endure the cost of that calling, right, to fulfill the call so at the end of your life you can say, I finished the course. I finished it. I fought a good fight in it. And are you consistently living out this calling that God's given you by, again, I said it, by his strength and not your own? Church, I, I love you, and the greatest desire of my life um, for your church is simply this, that more and more people come, not because I care less about numbers, more and more people come so they can hear the Word of God taught, 
right? So they can believe on Christ for salvation, understand their calling, that God can use them right here in this body so you guys can continue to equip each other to build up this body so that Scottsboro continues to get to hear the word of God and beyond. And thus, man, the, the gospel is spread more and more through Scottsboro and, and well beyond. And you might be saying, I, I don't know. I, I don't know my calling. Well, let me, so let me start here. If you know your calling and this makes complete sense to you and this is continue. I hope this is just an encouragement to you. I really do. But then maybe some of you are like, I, I don't know my calling. Well, I don't even know where to start with this. It's, it's going to sound oversimplified, but it's true. Start by asking God. He created you. If you're a believer today, he's the one that saved you. And he knows exactly the reason he has you on this earth. He knows the exact time period in which he has you on this earth. And he knows the exact calling which he has for you on this earth. And he will give you the strength to endure whatever cost comes with that calling. And I just pray that every one of you consistently live that out. And again, if you, if you mess up, I've done it many times. Okay, make that right. Confess that to God. Maybe it's sin that, that might be holding you from, from living out that calling. Day. Deal with that. Deal with it today. Repent of that, right? And get back to doing exactly what you know God's called you. Maybe it's fear. I don't know. I, Paul even tells us in here, there's aspects of his life he was fearful of, but it didn't stop him. Remember, you have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead living inside of you to help you overcome whatever fear that might ever hinder you from living that out. I don't know what it may be. But whatever it is, um, I encourage you, talk to God. If you don't know what that calling is, he is not going to hide that from you. Let's pray. Lord, what an awesome, awesome church, amazing people, uh, awesome leadership. What I pray, Father, is that if, I pray that everyone in here knows exactly the calling you've given them in their life. But if some don't, that's okay. Um, first, I pray if anyone's not a believer, that they start there and they accept the fact that the, your son came and died on the cross and rose from the dead and that they would just confess their sins to you, understand their need of a Savior. And Father, they would surrender, they would believe on you for salvation, that you would just, um, they would surrender their life to you. And as they do, Father, for everyone who's done that, that you would just either remind them of the calling or just show them uh, the calling you have for their life. And Father, some may be dealing with persecution right now. We know that could be mental, that can be physical, there can be different aspects of persecution or, or whatever the cost may be of just living it out. It can be different elements, I get it. Help them to endure that today. Remind them it is completely worth every aspect of the cost they're going to play and help them to consistently, consistently live out this, uh, this life of Christ to where, Father, um, they are living a life of being a faithful servant to you where at the end of their life they can say they've fought a good fight, they've finished the course, they've kept the faith. I pray that for all of us today in the name of Jesus. Amen.